0: episode 80
1: with Mark Evans. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross.
0: This episode is brought to you by Backerkit. Backerkit is a crowdfunding fulfillment software service that will help you take care of all the nasty customer details that may change, such as addresses, upsells, down sells, which means yes, they will help you get more sales after your campaign wraps up, and they help you figure out the logistics of spreadsheet nightmare. And so, if you want a streamlined process managing customer data and helping you as a creator focus on what you need to be doing versus being in spreadsheet heaven, heavy sarcasm there. Um, be sure to go to backerkit.com and at checkout, they've given the uncut audience, which is. That's you. They've given you 50% off of uh, their startup, their setup fee. So at checkout, use the five code UNCUT, U N C U T, and uh, just go check them out. They're amazing. I've worked with them on a few campaigns now, and they're awesome. Backerkit.com, word UNCUT at checkout.
2: I'd like to thank the guys over at Gadget Flow for sponsoring this episode. Gadget Flow is a product discovery platform that reaches more than 25 million people per month. They've helped more than 6,000 crowdfunding campaigns and also companies like Sony and Amazon boost their sales and exposure through their community. So if you're looking for another way to get exposure to your crowdfunding campaign, be sure to go to thegadgetflow.com slash submit to find out more information.
0: Mark Evans, author of Storytelling for Startups, but that is not... Um, the only descriptor of what you've done, like you and I met through Soul Orwell, the proclaimed Cookie Monster, and like, um, is it just to give the audience a bit of a background? Like, we sat down and just had an amazing one-hour conversation just about startups and uh, marketing and influencer outreach, storytelling, and all that. And I was like, Mark, you need to come on the show because you, what you do with startups is very similar to what I do with crowdfunding, but just at a later stage. And um, I think. Where we should start with this is, I'd love to like because I know I know your story, but I would love to introduce you to the audience a bit. Um, can you tell me a bit about your history and how you started working with startups and how you got in- involved with like storytelling and just that whole thing?
1: Sure. So um, to really sort of give you the Reader's Digest version, I w- I was a reporter. I was a technology reporter with the National Post, the Globe and Mail, and Bloomberg News. And uh, I spent a lot of time writing about startups and venture capital. And eventually, I got um, I got a friend of mine started did a startup and asked me to join them. And then I did a couple of other startups, um, got poached by VC, and then in 2008, I started my own consulting business. Um, Originally focused on social media because that seemed to be the flavor of Kool Aid that people were buying at the time. Yeah. and then I started getting approached by startups looking for help with marketing and storytelling, and and it really sort of brought me back to my roots as a as a reporter because that's what I did. I took lots and lots of information and and sort of synthesized it um, so that people could understand um, the news and 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 have a good story that they could sort of rally around. And so for the past eight years, I've been mostly working with. A combination of early-stage startups and fast-growing companies that um, have products that they're selling, but they just lack stories to connect them with target audiences. So that's what I do in a nutshell.
0: Right. And with them, like going back to your roots reporting, um, you mentioned that you were working with like a lot in the VC business uh, startup arena in your writing. How did you focus on that of all things you could have written about? Like, what got you interested in that to begin
1: with? Well, I I was originally, I was asked to write about this thing called the internet. Um, And it it was, and it sounds strange now, but at the time it was, it was this bizarre network that really no one knew about. And I kind of lost a a battle with another reporter and I got stuck writing about the internet. Um, And then... um, and then, slowly but surely, the, the startup scene in, Toronto, in Canada started to emerge, and I started talking to VCs and sort of trying to get a sense of what was going on, and I sort of caught the bug. Um, along the way, I sort of, I, maybe it's because I sort of, uh, so I, I like the entrepreneurial storytelling, um, I like the, the fact that these people sort of, you know, David versus Goliath, um, as a reporter kind of kind of aligned with my interests and then I started uh talking with VCs and eventually got approached by a VC to work for a startup um so it was sort of a natural interest um and I think at the same time the startup community was starting to grow and getting more attention and I just sort of gravitated to it
0: do you have a favorite story that you covered
1: a favorite story a that favorite I covered a favorite
0: story yeah
1: <sighs> I don't know it's a hard one um I'm just trying to. I mean, that's a, I, if if I had time to think about it, I would. Um, I think that um, the answer to that is that that maybe maybe the answer to that is a segue into what we're going to talk about is that I don't I don't know whether there's that many good stories among or enough good stories among stor- about startups in Canada. Um, we tend not to be the best storytelling community. We're very product centric, um, as opposed to customer centric. And so, you know, I often with a lot of clients, I have to dig the stories out. You know, I have to I have to find out the stories because they don't tell them themselves, right? Um, so I know I'm dancing around the question, but um, if maybe, maybe it'll come to mind later in the interview, and I'll say, "Hey, I, I remember that story," um, yeah. but let's, let's just say that maybe, maybe that, that maybe it's a call to arms, right? That maybe people should focus on on telling better stories.
0: Yeah, the reason I ask that question is because now that. As a reporter, um, it is your job to find the best stories or the most newsworthy ones that you think your audience or your readers are going to love. And so I was curious, what yeah. what was the story that resonated
1: with you the most? Well, well I'll tell you one that. story. Now, no? now that you've asked me, one comes to mind. Not a, It's a, a client of mine that d- actually did a crowdfunding campaign. So it was this product called Loop, which is a cat litter box. Like, yes, uh, Loop. And, well, the story, so they re, they introduced this product uh, last year, they raised a lot of money, but the story actually goes back to the 1980s, when this guy walks into a, a hair, hair salon uh, with a cat litter box. And uh, Dini Petty, who was a very well-known broadcaster at the time, looks at him and says, who are you and what is that cat litter box doing in our hair salon? And he goes, well, I just invented this this cat litter box, which is the greatest cat litter box that's ever been invented. And Dini Petty reaches across, and, and he says, I'm looking for investors. And she reaches across and says, hello, I'm Deanie Petty. I'm your newest investor. And that cat litter box went on to sell, like, hundreds of thousands of units. Then it died. Like, it, the business went under. And then 25 years later, Deni Petty and her son bought the rights back and reintroduced the cat litter box. That's a good story. That's a story that I could tell over and over again.
0: That's a great story. Yeah. And yes. Oh, man. Okay. The hardest part of my job as a podcaster is I really want to jump to the meat, but I we need to follow a format just so I'm not like, okay, what makes a good story? Sure. There's so much more to it. But that's really awesome. And uh, so moving past being a reporter, which I think gives you an amazing edge in storytelling because that's your bread and butter. Um, can you tell me about the first startup that you started and why you chose to go into that?
1: So... Um... 2000, uh, height of the dot-com boom, a, a friend of mine um, who's a lot smarter than me, which is a key to joining a startup, um, you join people who are smarter than you, said, hey, I want to start a software company. Uh, it was around natural language navigation. The easiest way to, to explain that is that rather than the internet being a place where you got information, it was a place where you do things like plan a wedding, go to Mexico, buy shoes. Now, at, Now it seems like, well, that's, that's just SaaS. That's just what you do on the internet. At the time, it wasn't happening. And so I jumped into it. I left the Globe and Mail, where I was you know, I was technology reporter, and jumped into it. Um, unfortunately, two things happened. One is the dot-com boom went bust pretty quickly on us. Um, money disappeared. And the second thing is we were probably about four or five years too early. Um, the whole Web 2- 2.0 phenomena sort of started to hit home in sort of 2004, 2005, Um, and we, uh, we just missed it. And that's just what happens with startups. You have a great idea, but you just right product, wrong time. That was, that was my entry into the entrepreneurial world.
0: Yeah, no, I, I get that. And we can go over so many different startups that hit at the right time, like Uber, Airbnb and all that, but another time. Um, I actually remember going back into, you mentioned before that there were, there are a lot of stories that in Canada, um, startups have a hard time telling their story because they're too product focused versus customer focused. I wanted to dig into that a little bit, like what you mean by too product versus customer focused.
1: So uh, many many startups, especially sort of online startups, are are launched by engineers or developers. They're not marketers. They're not even salespeople. So they have a fascination with the technology and adding more features to the technology. And the idea is that if we build it, they will come. That if we have a really great product, then customers will naturally gravitate to what we're doing. And unfortunately, it doesn't work that way because even uh, having a great product doesn't guarantee success. It's a matter of attracting the spotlight to your product and having people um, experience it, then you can actually turn them into customers. And I think, um, without sort of being too critical, is that uh, we don't really have a full-blown marketing culture in the startup community in, in Canada. The, there's n- we have a sort of a growing amount of talent, but it's not deep enough yet. Um, and I think it's also a sort of a mentality thing. Um, Canadian entrepreneurs tend to be a little less um, egotistical. Um, they don't wave the flag as much as Americans do. And Americans are great um, at telling everyone they're the best and, and even and creating this perception that, that they're really doing well. And it's perception's reality. If you tell people you're the best and you have a great story, then people start to believe you. And in Canada, I think we need to sort of start thinking that way and acting that way.
0: Yeah, I also feel that it's not just Canadian entrepreneurs, but um, I've started to do a lot of work with Amazon sellers. So people who are already selling online and the the thing with Amazon is if you, if that is the only place where you're selling product, then you're winning over SEO rankings as opposed to telling a story. And I find that a lot of founders you'll meet who do e-commerce, they don't even have a compelling brand story to be able to make that go viral as in having influencers talk about it, getting press for it because there's nothing like noteworthy about it. It's just like the next cool spatula.
1: Right. I, I mean, I, uh, I got approached recently by uh, someone, by an entrepreneur, a small entrepreneur who's having a tough time converting um, website visits into sales. And, I, when I, and he wants me to sort of do an audit on his website. And so when I did a quick look, um, he has no story. There's no story about him or why he started his business. And as a new business, your story is super important because you have no credibility or track record. All you have is your product. So to build a connection with the audience, they need to they need to like you in some way. They need to relate to you in some way. They need to feel that you're the real deal. That that they, there's some empathy um, towards what you're doing. And um, and I think that's probably where a lot of early stage stars fail is they they just don't have that story, that early story, any story that um, that can sort of drive. Um, that can get people at least curious about what they're doing. And this, and as a result, the product has to stand alone by itself, and that often is not enough.
0: Yeah. So before we um, get into really what makes a good story and what kind, different kinds of storylines there are, um, how would you define a story for a brand and why it's so important?
1: Well, there's different types of stories. Um, and I think... It's all about um, driving connections with with target audiences and getting people to um, at least be interested in what you're doing and how you're doing it. And I think I sort of have this um, this storytelling arc for early stage startups, and there's four there's basically four sort of four or five parts to it. Now it starts with because you're an early stage startup, you have no stories, you basically have no customers, probably don't have any sales. And so the stories that you can tell um, early, earlier stories about you and your struggles and why, or your what inspired you to start your company and some of the hurdles that you've overcome, some of the successes you've seen. And then you tell stories about what you think. So thought leadership pieces, um, opinion pieces about what's happening in your industry. And then as you get customers, then you tell stories about your customers and the success they're having and the value that you're getting from your product. And then, then, hopefully, your customers ta- ta- start telling stories about you um, on social media or on blogs. And eventually, you can get the media to tell stories about you. So it's a progression. Um, but it really starts with the fact that you've got to tell your own stories. That's how you get started. Otherwise, no one's going to tell stories for you until until later.
0: I feel like my favorite kind of story, because I help, uh, like mo- the majority of my clients are starting brand new brands online through crowdfunding, and I think my favorite story, I'll always, ask, when I whenever I get pitched a product to cover, I always have to see, okay, well, do you, why did you choose this product to launch? Do you have a personal connection with it? Did you, why did you develop this? Was it to solve a need in your own life? Um, and if, if there's no compelling story behind it, and it's just, matter of well I saw this really cool thing on Alibaba and I wanted to start selling it like that is not newsworthy at all it doesn't connect me to the brand or um because what I find is the story is what is going to separate your brand from any other competitor that you have and if if you can't connect that then good luck convincing anyone else to buy your product well yeah within reason right yeah I mean
1: yeah but I think that's that's so true because I think the, every entrepreneur believes that their product is unique, that they've developed something that the world hasn't seen before. And the reality is, is that there are dozens, if not hundreds of companies doing exactly the same thing that you're doing. Their product works the same, has the same features. Yeah, it's probably priced in the same range. So how do you differentiate? Um, how do you stand out from the crowd? So you, you, I believe that storytelling is the way that you do it. Um, a technique that a lot of Successful startups have used is really this idea of transparency and honesty, the idea that you tell people about your business and how you run your business and the mistakes you've made and the successes you've had, um, and that that drives really strong connections. So an example is is this company called Groove, which does customer service software, and they've got they've actually got three blogs, but on on one of their blogs they talk about you know revenue growth like really transparent revenue growth. They talk about the challenges of hiring. They talk about how the company almost failed. And it's really separated them from the pack because there's, there's dozens of customer service software companies out there. And, and you just, it's just the way that you um, carve out a unique identity in a very crowded marketplace.
0: Yeah, no, well said. Um, And so I'm curious, like you work with uh, early stage and then later stage companies do you see a difference in the brands in, um, I guess, complexity of developing a brand story between one, like a brand that's just starting out versus one that's morphed into a bit of meat.
1: Yeah, there are, there are very, um, distinct differences. So for early stage startups, they don't have a lot of customers. And so the story is, is this, it's their story and what they think their story is. Um, so there, it's a hypothesis. Um, they're, Sort of um, making an educated guess on what they think will resonate and what they what story will work, but they have nothing to sort of validate it against. When you when you talk to companies that are more mature, that have dozens of co- of, compa- of of uh, customers, then they'll tell you what you th- they think their story is, and then you go and talk to their customers and you you sort of you ask them if the story aligns with their thinking. And often there's there's there can be misalignment. Um, customers will tell you that the company resonates with them for completely different reasons, um, which is always interesting. In me- in most cases, however, there's it there's there's mostly alignment, but there still is differences. So that's the big one: is that you don't they really don't have a constituency to to test against. Um, and so early stage, you've got to guess. Later stage, you st- you can start to validate it.
0: And have you seen early stage, because majority of people who are listening to this podcast are early stage, and they're like, great, okay, I'm sold on the fact they need a story, but I don't know how to be different. Um, do you, have you seen a storyline that works best with early stage ventures? Or like, what would you recommend for someone who's launching that very first product on Kickstarter?
1: Well, as you said earlier, it's, so how did this thing come about? Like, what's the story of of your creation? It's, it's called the founder's myth. And and every company should have a really good founder's myth that that story that that um, launched the product. It could be that two people were stuck in an elevator and started talking. It could be that um, they ran into a personal problem. But there's at the very early stages, um, you want to sort of personalize your product um, because the only thing you've got going for you is you. Um, and your energy and your your ideas. otherwise, there's there's really nothing you, that you can really run with. Um so so really, maybe the first story you ever tell is a story about how you got started. Like, for example, like I always like for whatever reason, I was like asking people who are married how they met because that's a great story, right? There's awesome different stories, right? That's a founder story about how a couple came together. Same thing works for startups because everyone's got a good story. Except that we, many entrepreneurs don't really recognize the value of that story, so they don't tell it. So uh, so start with your story and go from there.
0: Man, yeah. I love that. Because um, I find that, just looking over a couple of the campaigns I have right now, there are two things that um, the founders didn't know. And the first one was they had this story in their brain that, well, no, our, our product is superior, like there's nothing else like it on the market, and they don't care that my nephew was struggling with it because it's not a good enough story. I'm like, well, it's better than just saying our product is awesome. Like you need that to humanize the brand. So it's like thinking that your story isn't good enough. And so they're just not going to use it. Um, But the, the second thing I might be going a bit of a tangent here, but when they're presenting their product, they're looking at it in terms of why they think it's so great as opposed to why the customer will think it's so awesome.
1: Right. Right. And that's the, that's the other side of the coin, right? It's the, it's the customer centric point of view because like, Customers, all they care about is what's in it for them. Like, how's this life going How's this product gonna make me, you know, richer, healthier, you know, more productive? Um, and they want to they want to feel the experience of your product, um, as opposed to you telling them how great your product is. and And that's why I think that, you know, aside from your own stories, um, the most powerful stories are stories about your customers' experiences with your product. Um, you look at a brand like Airbnb, for example, that doesn't never talks about how it's a really awesome service to find places to stay around the world. The stories that it tells are about people having awesome experiences traveling around the world, and the people that they meet and the places that they they go to and the food that they eat. Um, and that's all about the customer. It's not about Airbnb.
0: Yeah, Airbnb is just the vessel for the experience, and that's how you should look at your brand as well.
1: Yeah, and it really is about your your product really is the supporting actor in the customer's experience, right? And what they do and how it allows them to do different things, personally or professionally.
0: Yeah. Um, so when I was going through your book, which, thank you for that, uh, by the way. But when I was going through that, um, I noticed that there are some really great tools in there for say how to talk to your customers to craft your brand messaging um, and do a little bit of research on that and early stage Kickstarter first business all that doesn't have the luxury of having customers to speak to until after the campaign um, how, do you have any advice on how to test the right story when you're early stage or do you should you just wing different angles and then use that and see which influencers pick it up? Like, what would you do when you're sort of feeling around to see what the best one is to go for?
1: Well, it's true that that like companies that are doing kickstarter campaigns may not have customers, but they what you they may want to do is to talk to people who who may be their customers. Like you want you you don't want to go into something completely blind. You actually want to sort of validate your idea. Um, and that's when you can start telling these potential customers your story about how you developed your product, and and then you'll get a sense of whether that story resonates with people. Um, you know, so you've got you've got this test audience, and and they're sort of willing to listen to your pitch, and then you, you test different types of stories, and and often it's like it's 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 like a comedian, right? Like you see a comedian, they have a really good um, a really good act. Well. That act probably consists of lots of different stories that they've compiled over time. They test stories that work. They test stories and they don't work, so they get rid of them. And that's what you want to do as an entrepreneur. You want to talk to a lot of people, even pre-launch, and test your stories and, and see which versions work, which resonates, the stories that, that cause people to ask more questions or to take or say, hey, that sounds really good. And let me know when it's available. And that's when you know you're onto a good to a good story.
0: Yeah, well said. Um, in terms of like you bring up a great point in that one thing I, I like the most about meeting you in this interview is that you're not like you know how we talked about earlier at the uh, when we went for coffee a couple weeks ago is you have vast experience with startups in general and you chose to focus on storytelling. So I love how you have been in the trenches and you've seen, how to create a business and it's not just about storytelling it's like no when you go and speak to customers and do customer interviews that's gonna craft your messaging what features you should look for et cetera et cetera Um, so I I find that a lot of the tools that you most likely use with your clients to be very applicable to creating a business in general which is good Um, I am curious though like when you look to create stories online it's one thing to because we will use story <coughs> we'll use stories to craft the, the Kickstarter video we'll use stories to craft the page and all that but then I'd love to spend a little bit of time talking about how we actually use those stories to attract people to cover our page so we're talking influencers we're talking press because um, I see that as a little bit of a different angle with how to get those people enrolled in your project
1: right so okay there's two ways to look at this one is from the consumer point of view um and it really comes down to product and 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 telling a story that about their potential experience with your product what are the benefits for them like how are you how is your product unique and, and why does it matter to your target audience? So it's not about the features, It's about the benefits. And it's about the experiences that your product can deliver. So for consumers, that's that's all they care about. Um, they can get into the details of your product later. For influencers and the media, they're, they're looking for an angle, right? They're getting approached, you know, by dozens, if not hundreds of startups looking for the spotlight. And so what makes you different? What's the hook? It could be your founder's myth story. Um, it could be, you know, where your product is being developed or who's developing it. You've got to look for something that's different that makes people say, "Well, tell me more. Well, that sounds really interesting." And that can be hard, but you've got to sort of it, it, the, one of the exercises is go through a brainstorming exercise and come up with, like, think creatively, think out of the box. Like, why would someone want to write about us? What makes us different? Um, that you can sort of craft into a story that would get a reporter to say, hey, that's really cool. Um, or make an influencer go, yeah, I want to be involved in that because that sounds like something that, that would interest my audience. So think about, you know, the story that a reporter would want to tell. Think about something that an influencer would want to get involved with. And more, uh, above and beyond the, the product itself.
0: Not only that, though, but just in case anyone's misunderstanding what we mean, like, because you may have five different angles you think are amazing, you do not want to put that all in one email. No, just, no, yeah. So you absolutely should make that relevant to the influencer. Um, do you have any good feedback on how you can uh, make sure that your angle is relevant? Your one angle that you're pitching is relevant to the influencer or the the media.
1: Well, the one thing you have to do is, and I tell this to a lot of startups, you really got to start building a a influencer and media list from the get go. So right from the beginning, you got to decide, you know, to, who's important to you, who matters to you. It doesn't have to be hundreds of people. It can be a dozen people. It can be twenty five people or fifty people. But you've got to start to build that list, and then you've got to start to you've got to start to know them inside out. So what are they interested in? What do they write about? who do they get involved with um, you know what do they talk about on social media uh, what do they write about on their blogs so you've got a really sort of in-depth knowledge of these people and maybe you've even started to build relationships with them you follow them on social media you've retweeted them you've you've left comments on their blogs so there's it's not a cold relationship you've actually sort of started to sort of build some kind of relationship and then when you pitch them you you're pitching them with knowledge you're pitching them because you know what they're interested in Um, and so that makes a good pitch because every reporter and influencer wants to know that you've done your homework before you've even approached them. When you approach them blind, it's the biggest way for them to hit the delete button because it's irrelevant for them, right? So it's all about focus. It's all about knowledge. It's all about like doing your homework.
0: What's the most effective way you've shown to, uh, you've actually done to, uh, show an influencer you've done your homework?
1: Um, so, I mean, I mean, it starts off by, by simply sort of saying, uh, dear first name, um, you know, I know that you've written about uh, this subject in the past. I really like the story that you wrote about XYZ Company um, because, you know, it, it struck a chord with us because of the benefits of their product. Um, and we've actually got a product that's sort of uh, aligned with what you're interested in. Like, you have to sort of personalize it and... And, and from the get go really show them that you've read their, read their stuff or you follow them on social media, you know what they're talking about. Um, so it feels like, um, it's very targeted. Um, like it's, it's a one-on-one conversation as opposed to you trying to blast out to 50 different influencers at the same time. Um, because people like that one-on-one they want to, they want to feel that you, that you know them a little bit. Um, and that, um, And that it's, it's something that they're going to be interested in as opposed to yet another email from yet another startup.
0: Yeah. Do you ever get this on your LinkedIn where you're just getting a generic copy paste email all the time?
1: It's like, that. yeah, but I get a lot. I mean, I get a lot of that on email and it's like, it's, and it's just like, you you don't even know me. And sometimes there, you know, you, you get like, they'll say, dear blogger or dear Mr. Evans, right? And that's just a sign that they haven't really done their homework properly. So it, there's a lot of there's a lot of blind uh, email out there. Um, it's just a matter of being smart, right? And A matter of, you know, you don't have to blast out to everybody. It, I mean, if you get 10 people that you're focused on, and you really know them inside out, then that might be all the people that you need.
0: Yeah, I think we can make a really good swipe file of what not to do in emails. Like, even for when people are applying for um, a job that I may have posted, like uh, virtual assistant or account manager or whatever, I'll read their cover letters and they may use my first name, but then if the keywords are like, you'll be doing Facebook ads, they will write, oh, I'm very good at um, residential construction, telephone management or whatever. It's like, did you even read the ad?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, a. I think, you know, I think startups, I mean, to be, to be fair, startups are frenetic activities. And that they've got you know a thousand balls to juggle at the same time, and and media relations and influencer relations is not what they're good at. They they don't have an appreciation for it. They probably have very little knowledge about how to do it, and so they do it badly. Um, you know, and one of the one of the reasons why a a startup may want to use a PR um, agency or a boutique or someone like you for their Kickstarter campaigns is that you have the insight. Is that you can? You're good at things that they're not good at. Good at, and I think that's one of the things I think maybe one of the big um, sort of lessons for startups is there are things that you're really great at, product development, sales, and there's lots of things that you're not good at. So you either reach out to people who can really help you, or you hire people who are who have a, a level of expertise. Um, if you try to do things that are out of your comfort zone, then chances are you're probably going to fail.
0: Yep. Yeah, (laughs) I'm just thinking right now of a few things that I'm really terrible at. Um, So I get a lot of people approach me who may not be able to um, afford like launch services or maybe like you'll get approached by people who just don't have the budget yet or maybe they're too early stage. Do you have a piece of advice for anyone who is looking to hire in-house for someone to lead their marketing and influencer outreach
1: efforts? So the... Big uh, advice that I give startups is is know what kind of marketing you want to do um, and the marketing that's going to um, drive whatever goals you have, whether it's e-commerce sales or customer acquisition or page views if you're advertising based, because um, once you know sort of the kind of marketing that's going to be effective for you, then you can hire the right marketer. Um, there's There's different types of marketers. Some people are good at SEO or social media or content or optimization. And it's, if you, unless you hire the right person, then you're going to hire someone who has a wrong skill set, and they just may not know Facebook advertising as well as they need to, because that's how you drive, um, leads and sales. So know the tools or the channels that you want to use and then hire the person who has expertise in those areas. That's, that's the biggest piece of advice.
0: Great. Yeah, no, really relevant. And, um, so after I read your book, I know it's like it's a lot more actionable than I thought. So if people want to actually uh, find out more about you or to pick up storytelling for startups, like where's a good place to for
1: them to find out more? So you can visit uh, my website markevans.ca, and then the book's available on Amazon, um, Amazon.com, and Amazon.ca. And, uh, yeah, so it's, um, I also do a, a weekly newsletter that you can find out about on my website focused on startups. It's, it's, it's a selection of curated content about startup sales, operations, marketing. Um, so, you know, save people a lot of time because they don't have to go and find it. It comes to their, their inbox every Saturday morning.
0: Oh, awesome. Why do you choose a Saturday delivery as opposed to the typical Tuesday?
1: Because everybody else does Tuesday, and I figured that Saturday morning was sort of against the grain, um, and uh, and it seems to work. I mean, I think maybe there's just a sort of a bit of a segue here: is that you know a lot of startups do the same kind of marketing. They all do social media. They all do content marketing. Um, and sometimes you have to do some things differently. You have to think creatively. Um, it may be doing a podcast, for example, you know, that because not every startup does a podcast. So you're looking for, we're looking as marketers, we're looking for opportunities, right? Different ways that we can grab the spotlight. And it may be creative ways using social media, or it may be something completely different. Um, so for me, you know, all the newsletters come out on Tuesdays and I just decided to do something different and, uh, and sort of serve it up when people are drinking morning coffee.
0: Yeah. I love that. Uh, on, I remember like one or two, I think a year ago, uh, Tim Ferriss started sending out his newsletters on Sundays, I believe. And at the time, I remember seeing that. This might just be my perspective, but I remember seeing that and thinking, wow, no one I know sends newsletters on Sunday. And then you notice over the following few months, because he does it, suddenly more newsletters are getting in my inbox on Sunday. Because it just seems like counterintuitive, but that's when people are getting ready and set up for the week. Yeah. uh, yes. Maybe Saturday will be a a thing after this.
1: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> maybe <laughs> if you publicize it, it'll happen. I don't know.
0: Yeah. No, it's great. I should really have like a daily, or a week, not daily, but like a weekly um, email that goes out, and I find it, it goes out Tuesdays or Wednesdays, but I should be better, more consistent on that, but
1: baby steps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing with marketing. It's a walk before you run kind of uh, kind of activity.
0: Exactly. So. Great. Well, this has been awesome. Um, I love doing the 20,000 foot view on influencer marketing and just even hearing your perspective because you have been in on that side of it. And so you understand how influencers and reporters think. And uh, it's the creators that do Kickstarter projects that need attention like that. So, you know, your advice and uh, feedback has been really, really valuable. So thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Well, that wraps up another episode. If you guys like the show, please do head over to CrabFunnyUncut.com and subscribe. You do get a freebie. It's the ultimate physical product launch checklist, which is going to lay out your entire crowdfunding campaign from start to finish way from six months forward and uh, it was based off of the exact system that I have developed um, when helping creators raise multiple seven figures through both Indiegogo and Kickstarter so that's crowdfunnyuncut.com and if you guys are digging the show please also subscribe on iTunes and leave an honest review uh, reviews help it this show get found by more people and um, apart from that thanks so much for sticking around to the very end and, and listening to this. We're excited to, um, just dig into more shows in the future. So we will uh,
2: talk to you guys next week. We'll be in your ear balls.